Welcome to Brisbane West Vineyards podcast. It's great to have you with us. We're a community of people sharing God's love, power, and life that's revealed in Jesus. We gather Sundays, 5 p.m. at Good News Lutheran School in Middle Park. We exist simply for the King and His kingdom, that His will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Happy Easter. Hope you've had a fantastic weekend so far. And great thing about Easter is it's not over yet. So, um, but we reach the kind of high point, don't we, on Easter Sunday, where um, all the somber reflections of Christ's sacrifice and everything he's done for us, um, we, uh, we, we see are just eclipsed by the, the light of him um, bursting forth from the tomb and defeating death. And so we're going to kind of cover a range of things today, but I want us to land in that place of what it means for us to live in the light of the resurrection, what it means for us to live life to the full. So um, we're going to go on a bit of a journey today, and um, we're going to kind of anchor ourselves, if we could have the next slide, please, love. Uh, We're going to anchor ourselves in understanding... There it comes. We're going to anchor ourselves in understanding um, Jesus as the first and last, the goal of creation. And um, you might have heard that he's the Alpha and the Omega. Literally, it's the Greek A to Z. So he's the beginning and the end. And it's uh, used often in Scripture to define who Christ is. And our journey in Christ, we've got to understand that when we talk about Christ, um, When I was first saved, um, too long ago to remember when I was 20 years old, um, I used to think Jesus Christ was his surname. So when you don't grow up a Christian, you think, you know, you have Jesus, your first name, and then Christ must be the surname. So Mr. Christ. Um, Not knowing that that was his honorific title, but what people uh, may not even know is that that what what Christ means, because it seems like one of these religious sounding words and it's often on the lips of unbelievers in, um, as a swear word. Um, but what does it mean? It means simply king. It means the anointed one. It means Messiah. We can change all of those things for Christ. So when we talk about our journey in Christ, we're talking about our journey in Jesus, our king. So when Jesus is your king, things look kind of different. And as you kind of realize what Jesus has done for you, there's this journey that kind of takes place. So we're going to understand, first of all, what Jesus has done for us, and that's him as Jesus the last. And then we're going to understand what he's done in us, and when we come to terms with what he's done for us and we accept that, it then becomes something in us, something final, something finished, something complete, something that you don't have to try and muster up some faith to believe On a good day, he is the Lord, and he has dealt with your sin. So we're going to go on that journey today. But then the journey continues, and it continues down this path of what Jesus is doing in us, but in terms of new creation as the first. It's not just the end of one life we experience as Christians. It's the beginning of a whole new life. So we're going to look at Jesus, the Alpha, um, in what he's done in us. And finally, we're going to land where Jesus wants to take us all, 
is that he wants to be with us. If you read the first page of the Bible to the last page of the Bible, the whole venture is about God wanting to come and dwell with his people and doing whatever it takes that we can be with him forever. So we'll look at what he's going to do for us as the uh, beginning in the new creation. So let's start that journey. We'll go back a little bit to Jewish expectation, and there were various levels of complication there around different groups and, and nuances to what they expected. But essentially, they all expected, if we could carry on, love, the Messiah would come and usher in the day of the Lord at the end. Um, basically, the wicked would uh, face eternal judgment and the righteous would receive eternal salvation. Now, you might think, well, that's pretty close, isn't it, to what we believe? But there's this expectation of the Messiah coming at the end and who would put things right. Um, moving on to the next one. Now, this was a common false gospel that's still around today, and it might have been one that you've grown up with and um, one that hopefully you don't hang on to today. Um, but Jesus came to announce the year of God's favor before the day of the Lord comes at the end, where we're all face judgment. Some go to heaven on the basis of our good works, while the rest go to hell. That's a common gospel that's still preached today. And a lot of people have rejected the gospel on that basis because they don't understand, indeed, what Christ has done for us. So, indeed, the new beginning has already happened in Christ because he's risen from the dead. But that's kind of limited to, well, we can trust his words because, look, God raised him from the dead. But it doesn't actually do anything for us in terms of we're just supposed to be good people. And it's used by governments and used by leaders to control people to say, if you're good, then you'll get this reward at the end. Now, I know we've all fallen into that trap as parents and certainly for a school teacher, um, rewards are very good to motivate. Um, but often this whole thing of sanctions where if you don't do that, you're going to get a smack. And that's kind of coming from that philosophy, isn't it? Does that sound like the kind of good news that, that, that God wanted to bring? That if you don't behave yourself, you'll go to hell. But unfortunately, that's, that's the gospel that a lot of people think that Christianity is about. It's based on our good works and what we do. So, moving on. Let's look at our journey in Christ. So, King Jesus is the first and the last. He's the end goal, or the Greek word telos, of creation. Now, you might recognize telos as a kind of Greek-Latin word because... You had those old pirates who would stretch out their telescope, and it remains that's the end of something. So as they're stretching it out, it reaches its kind of end. And that descends from that same word there. Now, this first and the last, where do we get that from? You might have heard it. You might have heard the Alpha and Omega, or the beginning and the end, um, all variations of the same thing. But we see a lot of it actually written in Revelation. So we're just going to go through a few of those scriptures together. Revelation 1.8, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. A little bit further on in that chapter, I'm the first and the last. I'm the living one. I was dead. And now look, I'm alive forever and ever. And that's, of course, what we remember today on Easter Sunday. Next one, please, love. 
Revelation 2.8, these are the words of him who is the first and the last, who died and came to life again. Another one, he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Take with you on the journey that phrase, it is done, because we're going to see something today. And what the revelator is wanting to get across to us is the finality of what Jesus has done for us. And in Revelation 21.6, if we back up, love, just the left button there, should go back to that, that's it. He said to me, it is done, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And then on to 22, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Now, it might seem repetitive, yeah? That's a lot of references to pretty much the same thing. Um, in a book, the space of 20 chapters. Now, Revelation is probably not a book that you would read from beginning to end, although I recommend it, even though it's, uh, it's, a, it's a challenging read. Um, but uh, it covers a lot of references there. And we can see that for the revelation that John was getting, the apocalypse, remember we did that series? If you ask Siri, what's the apocalypse? What will it say? The end of the world. You can try it yourself. Um, but actually, the apocalypse isn't the end of the world. It's the revelation. It's the revealing. It's the peeling back of the covers to see what's actually happening. And John wants to get across this message that he's seen about Jesus, about God being the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Um, and then we will jump back a little bit in Scripture. If We have the next reference to Paul in Colossians. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. Again, the same concept that Paul is drawing on there. The head um, is literally first in Jewish culture. Rosh is the Jewish word. And so they have in their new year, Rosh Hashanah. So it's the head of the, the new year. So there's this connection with the head being first. And when we talk about Jesus being the head of the body, there's a supremacy there. And we can kind of get with that in our modern understanding that, you know, your brain is an important um, organ, isn't it, in terms of directing the rest of your body. But that wasn't the thinking in terms of Hebraic understanding. Their understanding was that this was the center of your being. I might just need to grab... A bit of a water or something. I wonder if somebody can go and see if they can grab that. Got a frog deciding to uh, get stuck in my throat. But um, yeah, so that phrase there, the firstborn from among the dead. Again, there's something there about Jesus' supremacy. So when he is born on that first um, Easter Sunday, He's ahead of everybody. He's the beginning. He represents something of the whole new order of things that Christ is building. So, thanks, Alison. We're going to bring that together in terms of what Jesus has done for us. So, Jesus being the first and the last and the end goal of creation. And we could draw lots of passages together, but we don't have the time today where Everything finds its kind of restoration and unity in Christ. Um, he brings all things together. So when we sing the name of Jesus on the streets and things like that, 
it really is all about Jesus. So if there's any other Gospels out there that don't direct you to Jesus, um, they're missing the point. So Jesus is the beginning, he's the end, he's the goal of creation. So what he's done for us, and this was against the Jewish expectation at the time, although in Scripture, you can get all of this from Old Testament, is that he faced judgment on behalf of humanity. So that judgment, that omega, that final day, that great and dreadful day of the Lord, it's often talked about by the prophets, came. And it came on the cross. That was judgment day. So when people talk about um, Arl Schwarzenegger and Terminator and things like this, the end of the world, it's too late. It's already happened. Now, does that mean that we won't face a nuclear apocalypse? Can't use the word apocalypse, but using it in the popular meaning. Um, it really doesn't matter. And that's what I want you to come away with today. Whatever happens in the future has already been resolved on that day in the past. Because what we're going to realize is that the end is a person. You've already met the end of the world, Sam. You look him in the eye and you see his eyes smiling back at you. And when you begin to find that kind of confidence in who Christ is, no matter what happens before he returns again, it really doesn't matter because he has done everything he can to be reconciled and at peace with you. And that's what we're going to camp out on a little bit here. Now, in this mentoring experience, which for me came to a close at the end of March, I've had over two years, one of my favorite text we went through was written by a guy called Adrio Koenig. He's a South African. Um, he's a professor. And he wrote this book, The Eclipse of Christ in Eschatology. Sounds like lots of words that you probably wouldn't want to study unless you're going to university and trying to get your assignment done. But essentially what he's saying is Jesus is the beginning and the end. And that's what we're going to draw from here. So what has Christ done for us? It is particularly in his earthly ministry, crucifixion and resurrection, that Jesus accomplishes God's purpose for us by being God's faithful covenant partner in our stead and as our representative. He ends our enmity with God, reconciles us with God, and brings peace between God and us. This he does without our aid, against our will, even since... while we are yet enemies of God. So when Jesus went to the cross 2,000 years ago, what he was doing was removing the block for us to have relationship with God. Anybody around 2,000 years ago? Could anybody here have influenced what Jesus had done? So... We spend a lot of time, don't we, listening to these inner voices and these doubts and the devil who wants to convince us that somehow we can undo what Christ has already done. I can see a few people thinking deeply. If Jesus has removed the enmity, if Jesus has brought peace, that's already done and it's been done 
2,000 years ago. And as we're going to see as we move on with the journey, what we're doing is just coming to terms with the fact that what Jesus has already done. And if we can kind of leave it as the last, the final, the complete, then it doesn't open up as a chapter in our life that we have to kind of carry with us. Has he done it? Will I rise? These, these aren't things that we need to be kind of facing as our feelings go up and down or as our experiences get good or bad. Remember the context of Revelation. It was written to a persecuted church where people were dying. Um, and, you know, when somebody holds a sword to your throat, it's easy to say, mm, maybe I don't believe if you're going to kind of not cut my head off. But people were saying, I believe. And they, they were saying that because... Why would they deny the very thing that has brought them life and certainty and security? And that's what the revelator is doing there. So Jesus is the end. The word there, eschatos, you might have met it in the word eschatology. And there's a lot of stuff out there in the church um, which people talk about the end times. And I think most people avoid that because it sounds messy and complicated and... Um, Actually, a lot of it is just plain wrong. It just has no bearing in the church. It was actually invented by a specific Scotsman that I could take you through his history when he came up with these novel ideas and things like the rapture and things like that. Because the reality is, the end times began with Jesus. The end has already come. So if we're looking forward to this time where it's going to get worse, and I find lots of people who get stressed about it and what's happening now. and But hey, you only got to read through history to see it's been pretty bad for the last 2,000 years. And so we don't need to be stressed about whether it's going to get better or worse. I mean, actually, I think I'd rather live now than as, you know, a peasant in the Middle Ages, um, for sure. Um, there are different challenges, but um, I think, you know, going week by week, needing your Lord to hand out your meager food to live on was not much of a life. But um, Jesus is the end. The end is a person and the end has come. And he's faced that judgment for us. So since Jesus came, we've been living in the last days. Now, one scripture here, if we can go on to the next slide, please, love. Um, that really makes the point is John 19, 28. Later, knowing that everything had been done, had now been finished, the root word there is telos, so that scripture would be fulfilled, again the same word. Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked the sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk, of a hyssop plant and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished, same root word. With that, he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. So when Jesus declares it is finished, and you might have heard messages on that before, and you can take those same words and you can talk about paying a debt. There's a finality to it. Something's been completed. You've paid off your debt. Anybody paid off their mortgage here? Somebody's paid off their mortgage. I'd be really happy about that in the current climate. So that's a real achievement, isn't it? To finish something, to pay a debt. And that's what these words are talking about. What John wants you to understand 
is that this debt has been paid, that this is finished. Jesus has received the full judgment on your behalf. There's actually a few more things to do, but judgment isn't one of them. Not, not for those who can come to this place of believing in that. So John wants us to know in a very real sense that the cross was eschatological. In other words, it was the end goal of Christ. We're going to move on to look at what Jesus has done in us. If we can go on to the next slide, please, love. So a lot of Christians can get to the point of accepting that Jesus died for your sins. And so he's come then to bring us the good news that there's peace with God. And it all depends on him, not on our good works. And there's lots of people who are in that place, but they get stuck there. Because it's like, okay, now we're just sitting around waiting for Godot, sitting in the waiting room and other gospels then of going to heaven. You know, we'll, we'll get there one day when we die. That's kind of missing the point, as we'll see in a moment. Now, God has done it in us and heaven will come. We will all reach that end point. And on the basis of our faith in Christ, this is what we're doing. We're believing that 2,000 years ago, Marco, Jesus died for you. But your day that you realized that was maybe growing up a Christian or maybe like me, you were um, told the gospel by somebody else and you weren't brought up as a Christian. But the day that you first began to believe is, if you like, the day that you died as well as the day that he died. But in fact, you died 2,000 years ago. You died with him on the cross. It's just that you just then, on your first day of being born again, realizing that he's died for you and he died as you. And so that's half the story. Jesus doesn't stay on the cross. And you see in certain traditions, um, you don't see it in uh, the Lutheran tradition here because... Um, we, as Protestants, very proudly display crosses without Jesus hanging on them. And they've got a lovely prop here, I notice, of the empty tomb. And as Protestants, we get excited that Jesus isn't hanging on the cross. Now, he needed to hang on the cross. He needed to die for us, as, as we see. But that wasn't the, the end goal. Part of the end goal is that he rose again as the firstborn from the dead. Because if he just died and he went straight to heaven and he's in heaven now as some spiritual being, then maybe he would have paid the price for sin. Maybe he would have made the way for us to be um, uh, at peace with God. But he rose as a man. He was bodily risen. Nobody claims that there was this ghost walking around. And there's evidences that the scripture writers go that we're talking about Jesus with a new kind of body. A body that could walk through walls, which sounds a lot like a ghost. But a body that you could touch and feel. And a body that could eat and have breakfast on beaches. That's hard to reconcile. We can't imagine such a body that can do such a thing. But Jesus was the firstborn of all creation. He's pointing forward to that end, and we'll get there eventually, where we'll also have those same new bodies. But what he's done in rising from the dead 
is open up this whole new chapter for us where while we're still in these um, earthly tents and these bodies here, um, he has given us access to the other side, not just that in baptism that we die with him, but as we come up out of the water, we're raised with him. And we're going to read some scriptures in a moment, Romans 6, 8, not all of it, and Ephesians 2, where Paul is at pains to show us that if we've died with Christ, we're also raised with him. You can't have one without the other. And the Christian life is one that's supposed to be lived out of the resurrection, not out of the death of Jesus. Now, we don't get to the resurrection until we die to self. We don't get there until we recognize it's only by Jesus. But the invitation is to become his covenant partners and partner with God to not only share the good news which we've received, but also to live out of that good news with the confident hope that we have of our final state and resurrection, that we too will be like Jesus, living in an eternal body and living um, without tears, living at peace, living without sickness, living without brokenness and so on. So we're on the journey. But we don't have to wait for us to die in these mortal bodies and be raised out of a grave or if you happen to be around on the very day that Jesus appears to be changed in the twinkling of an eye. That life is available today and this is what Paul is at pains to tell us. So back to this, um, this book by Koenig. So talking about what he's done in us, it's particularly by his presence and work through the Holy Spirit that Jesus accomplishes God's purpose in us, bringing us to faith in him, enabling us thereby to accept and experience the end of our enmity with God and making us God's loyal covenant partners. In this second mode of eschatology, God's purpose is no longer achieved without us. In other words... What Jesus has done for the whole of humanity 2,000 years ago, the moment that you say, yes, I accept, I believe, all of that is now received by you for him to do it in you. So we partner with God and accepting that, that generous revelation. And it makes it really clear. Did you hear that? We don't get there by ourselves. To have faith in God the first time, you might think that it's your meager little brain that says, okay, that's a good idea, I'll go for that. But there's a whole other thing that the Holy Spirit is doing where he's taking the blinkers off and bringing us a revelation of something. So it's not something you have to kind of strain to think of and try and make believe on. I know there's lots of people who said to me, I wish I could believe that. But ultimately, it's only the Holy Spirit who can bring us that revelation and if you're in a position where you don't have it, you just need to say, open my eyes like I did when I was a 20-year-old. And God will, God will answer that prayer. That's not a prayer that's ever going to come from <laughs> uh, out of your soul that's not out of his. So let your will be done, not mine. That is his will. He wants to bring everybody to a revelation of who he is. So continuing in terms of looking at what Christ has done in us, while God's purpose for us is fully achieved on the cross and in the resurrection of Christ because it was done without us, in this second mode, it is not fully realized in us because we're involved and we do not fully cooperate. 
Now, Wesley, he got into a little bit of trouble. I mean, he did an amazing thing, riding a million miles on his horse, sharing the gospel, trying to reform the Church of England. He didn't want to create the whole Methodist church. It just happened because they thought he was a troublemaker and kicked him out. Um, But Wesley pushed things so far that he thought you could achieve perfection in this life. Now, nobody's saying that. But what we are saying is that if we journey with Christ, we could get towards that perfection. We're not stuck in a life where we have to put up with the old. The old is dead. Scripture encourages us to let that die and live out of the new life of the Spirit. And we're going to read some of these scriptures now that encourage us to live as if we were raised again. It was actually Luther 500 years ago who said we should already live as if we've been raised from the dead. Amazing, isn't it? So these aren't any modern ideas. So Romans 6, just a few. I'll just cherry pick these, otherwise we'd be here all evening. We are those who have died to sin. Don't you know that all of us who were baptized in Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We're therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we've been united with him in his death, we will certainly be united with him in his resurrection. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we also live with him. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to Christ Alive to God in Christ Jesus and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. Dan picked up that message a few weeks back and in a very practical way dedicated our bodies to to serve God. In Romans 8, um, in the whole section there, which talks about life through the Spirit, I'm going to jump down to 14. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we're heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we might share in his glory. So see the principle of being united with what God has already done. And just so there's no doubt at all, Ephesians 2 really um, brings the point home. Starting in verse 4, Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in his mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. He did it before we even gave any assent to say, yes, Lord, (laughs) you can do that in me. It's already done 2,000 years ago. It is by grace you've been saved, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Not will raise, has raised. In order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith, And this is not from yourselves, it's a gift from God, not by works, so that no one can boast, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared for us in advance to do. So all that to say, so far, I haven't heard a lot other than us saying, 
Holy Spirit, can you open my eyes to see that you have died for me and I accept you as my Lord and Savior. And I invite you into my heart to change me so that I can become an obedient follower of you. That's the bit that we play. It happens at the beginning of our faith, but it happens throughout our faith as we say, Holy Spirit, can you come and help me today? I'm nervous to share with my uh, colleague across the office just what this faith has done for me. Can you help me and empower me to do such things? The whole thing is done with this invitation of the Holy Spirit helping us. But Jesus, didn't he say, Matthew 28, I will never leave you or forsake you. Now, he said, I'm going to send another, a counselor who will be with you. But he said, I will never leave you or forsake you. So part of the Holy Spirit's role is to bring Jesus to us. So Jesus has never left us. Even though we know Jesus is seated with the Father. But hang on a minute. Didn't we just read? We're also seated in the heavenly places. Can you see the difference when we live out of this kind of faith? This isn't a kind of under-the-ground, defeated faith. Eventually, God will prove it true. This is a faith which has confidence, has boldness, is not at all uh, worried about um, you know, any challenge to it. When we read the gates of hell will not prevail against the church, we imagine that these gates are storming down the street, chasing after us, and we're running. Gates don't chase after you. Gates are fixed at the fortress of the enemy. So if the gates won't prevail, it's because we're chasing after them. And so we need to live out of a mindset, not of defeat. Yes, there's a lot in the Bible about suffering. There's a lot about being united with Jesus' suffering. There's an awful lot about it in Revelation. But we're living out of his life. We're living out of the resources that the Holy Spirit can provide for us today. And so we enter on that path, and that takes us, if we go to the next slide, when we journey in Christ, there's two options. If we're not journeying with Christ, we're still heading towards that final judgment because we haven't accepted what Jesus has done for us. But once we're in Christ, we can live out of his death or we can live out of his resurrection. And it's great. It's so good that every single one of those sins has been paid for. That whatever I do in the future, there's nothing that can separate me from God's love. You can read it. There's a wonderful passage. If you need that stirring up every day, read that. Nothing can separate you. It's a done deal. So if we're tempted to doubt, if we're tempted to feel that we're out of reach of what God has done, I didn't see any, but this person can't get in. But that's unacceptable. So we can certainly journey onwards towards the end, confident either way that we'll get there. But I want to encourage you to live life to the full. And that passage, John 10.10, 10, um, we a couple of years back looked, uh, or might even not been that long ago, at the, the I am statements in John. And this passage is, is in the passage that talks about Jesus saying that he's the gate. So literally, um, he lies across the sheep pen and he determines who comes in and who comes out. There's no other way into this pen than through Jesus. 
it's almost synonymous with him saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. But he's also saying in this uh, that I'm the good shepherd. And it comes out of that context where he's talking us to live life to the full. And the contrast there is with what the devil does. And so his MO, his modus operandi, the way that he works is to steal, kill, and destroy. So any areas in our lives where we're experiencing, you know, theft or death or destruction, we can be sure that's not from God. That's from the enemy. And people get confused sometimes. Why is God doing this to me? God isn't doing that to you. God went to the cross and took it all on your behalf. Yes, it's happening to you. You're not crazy. But it's coming from one place and one place alone. Coming from the devil, coming from the enemy. And we're in a war. And we've been asked to pray this mighty weapon that we have, prayer. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So everything that happens on God's good earth is not God's will. Because otherwise we'd be praying to ask him to do his will. And that's a whole other thing when you get into the sovereignty of God and you think, well, how can that happen? But don't blame God for bad stuff. The Bible's really clear on that. But we have power to stand against the gates of hell and to resist when we see those things stealing, killing, destroying. So I want you to be creative and I want you to think, well, what are the words that are opposite to that? You know, stealing is pretty obvious, isn't it? You can steal something, take what's not yours. You can give. Think of the amazing ways that you can give. Just like we did last week at Easter, we were able to give stuff away. Not buy one, get one free <laughs> or any other marketing strategy. Not if you buy two, we'll give you 50% off the third one. It's totally free. And if we give like that, what we're reflecting is the very nature of Jesus in us. So giving, going out of your way to serve people, the opposite of killing, bringing life, bringing new things into being. This is the nature of who God is and who you are. You've been made to be in his image. And so we together can display what it means to reflect the life of Jesus. And rather than destroy things, you know those kids going all the way back to um, um, kindy, you'd build something and there would always be a kid, wouldn't they? They'd come along and just smash it and destroy it. And maybe that kid was you, in which case, good news. Christ has forgiven you. <laughs> but it just seemed like some kids, they were bent on destruction. They'd come in like a great King Kong and they'd smash through whatever you've built. And as a little kid, you're just like, eh. That's where it all starts as we try and struggle with this problem of evil in the world. But God has made us to come alongside and build up, to strengthen, to encourage. So whatever words you can think of in terms of who God is, um, that go opposite to these words, steal, kill, and destroy. That's what we're talking about, living life to the full. You are God's representatives, his ambassadors, and you can imagine as good as I can as to how you can um, reflect his identity and share his good news. So as we come to the end, um, what God will eventually do with us Remember the whole goal of the Bible from the beginning to the end is that we will be with him. And it's not us trying to knock on his door saying, please, can we come in? 
It's him knocking on our door. Will you let me in? And he's a gentleman. And he doesn't force us. He invites us to open that door. And Abigail was how old when she came to us one evening and interrupted what we were doing? And how old was she? Eight years old. And she said, Mommy, Daddy, I can, I can feel Jesus knocking on the door of my heart, and I want to let him in. So there's something here that God does by his spirit that he can allow us to come in tune with him and what he's already done. And we can say, yes, I want that. But it takes faith to believe for what we don't have. Because if we already have it, then we don't have to hope for it or have faith for it. So what we're talking about and what we've been told we'll receive is the same deal that the firstborn from the dead has received. Eternal bodies that will last forever in a world where you're with God, where you're at peace with him. And the sad thing is that some people will reject their king. It really does come down to a very binary choice of Jesus is king and I accept what he's done and I receive all the benefits of that. Or I reject that. And unfortunately for God, he's created us with free will to say, well, I can't do any more than what I've done. If the God of heaven is found, as it says in that amazing poem in um, Philippians 2, humbly in the body of a man, and he gives up that life so that we could all be saved there's still a place, unfortunately, for people to reject that. And so there is a final judgment. For those who are in Christ, that judgment has come. But there is a last day. There's a great and terrible day that remains for those who reject Christ. But the flip side of it, for those who are in Christ, how does that song go? We'll rise with our gaze transfixed on Jesus' face. So... That, my friends, is the journey that we're on in Christ. And that is why it's important that we have compassion, sensitivity, confidence to share the message of hope that we have. Because really, everybody's life depends on this. Happy Easter. I just wonder if we could stand. And I'm just going to invite if you would like the Holy Spirit to come and fill you and to give you an assurance of what Christ has done. This is actually what he's come to do. There's like loads in there and I don't expect you to kind of take away all the, the thoughts and um, ideas and the, some of the big words I threw out. But the end is a person. He's also the beginning. He's the beginning of a whole new life for you, for your family, for the whole of creation. And what I didn't mention here is that not only is this between us and him as a covenant between God and his people, the whole of creation is transformed. He represents that whole new beginning. So if you think life is tough, 
if you think, you know, <laughs> maybe I don't want to carry on living forever. He gets to change it all. So Holy Spirit, we just invite you right now, and I invite you if you want to, to put your hand on your heart and just say, Jesus, come fill me up. Come and put God's good soil in my heart to receive your word and to know that truly that you are the end. You're the end of my sin. You're the end of my animosity with God and with others. You're the end of pain and sickness. You're the end of everything that requires putting right in this world. And Lord, I know the struggles that I have, but I invite you to come and end those things now. And I want to live out of your resurrection. I want to live out of the power of your spirit. I want to live free from whatever's holding me back. So Holy Spirit, I pray, come even now, Lord, and give us visions of the future that you've prepared for us. You talk about the good works that you prepared even before we were born, let alone we were born again. Give us visions, Lord, to see what it is that you want to partner with us in. We thank you, Lord, that all we have to do is keep journeying with you and saying, Lord, help me here, because I don't have this. This is what you have. On the basis of what Jesus has done, can you open up this new path ahead of me that I can walk on it? So Holy Spirit, we invite you to come with power. We invite you to break things of the old. And just as those who've been baptized here have said, we've died with you, I pray once again right now, anything that needs to die, let it die. Break it off. And Lord, in that moment that we stood up out of the water, we pray, Lord, what needs to come alive, let it come alive. Whatever hopes that you've placed in us that have been crushed or forgotten, we invite you to renew those in us now. And we say, Lord, we choose life and we choose life to the full. In the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, amen.